Welcome to the Hope Collective Message Podcast, where we find a confident expectation of a better tomorrow in the character and promises of God. To learn more about who we are, visit thehopeco.com. Here's today's message. We're looking at the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him. In fact, pray like this. Will you join me, please? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. I, uh, in the seventh day of a nighttime cough. Anybody have one of those where like it keeps you up all night long? Last night got seven hours of sleep, so you're in for it. Uh, like recharged and ready to roll, but pardon the voice. So we're going to try a couple of different concoctions to see if any of this works. We're glad you're here. My name is Dave, one of the pastors here. And um, if you are part of the families that dedicated kids, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for letting us be part of that. Um, In our tradition, what we believe is following Jesus. We know Jesus, when he was a baby, was brought to the temple by Joseph and Mary. And the priest of the temple, the pastor, if you will, prayed a prayer of dedication over that child back to Jesus. And so we follow the steps of Jesus. We just want to do what Jesus did. We know that Jesus in his adult life got baptized. And so after we've made a commitment to Christ, we get baptized because we want the world to know that we're following Jesus. That's not to say anything about any way anybody else has handled that. That's just to say that's why we do what we do. And just wanted you to kind of understand that and be part of that. We have another opportunity this morning to pray um, over some friends. Many of you know in December, we said goodbye to our youth pastor, George Knabel, and we're in the midst of a search for new youth pastors, and we hired not just one, but two youth pastors. We hired a couple, right? And so I want you to meet them, and I want to give a warm welcome to two of the most amazing people I know, Matthew and Sam Greathouse. Would you guys pop up here? These guys, um, if, if, first of all, take time to get to know them. Like everybody invite them over for dinner. That'll keep them busy for like the next two years. You had three from first service. See, that's wonderful. There's already people going, we're inviting them over. Um, these guys have spent a lot of their life in young life 
And um, as we went through the process, just felt God kind of confirming that he was bringing them here to love on our kids. And I got to tell you, if you have a kid in junior high or high school, you're going to want them to meet uh, Sam and Matthew, and it's going to be a blast. We had a chance to sit. They came to Caden's game, and, and what I learned is they actually don't want to sit with the parents. They want to sit with the kids. I'm like, that's cool. I want to do that too. I just think it would be weird. You guys can um, but we're so glad that they're here. We want to pray over them. We want to play God's protection over them because they're part of our family. They've actually been attending here over the last couple of years. And so it's really cool to get to see you guys step in on staff and looking forward to having you come and preach on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, let's give her the notes. So let's, let's just extend a hand again. It's just a way of saying, hey, we're here for you, praying for you. So God, we just kind of come into this space. We love these two. It's been a blast to watch how they love each other, how they love you, and how they love our kids. And just pray, God, that you would surround them with the power of your Holy Spirit and fill them and your anointing rest on them, giving them the words to say and the authority to speak life and truth and direction into our kids' hearts. We know it takes a village, and um, we're excited to see how you're going to use them. We come against any attack the enemy has set up for them, and we cancel that attack. In Jesus' name, we have that authority. Whatever is bound in heaven is, is, is whatever is bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. And so we just pray. Um, Satan, you have no authority, and we're going to see kids come to know Jesus. I'm, I'm excited that they're not just focused on the kids that are here, but in our community, kids who need Jesus. And so we're praying that you would bring kids to faith because, God, you are the truth, and you are the way. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you showed us how to get to God. May people find that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give these two a big hand. as they love them. Um, just real quick, every once in a while, my family pops into town. So those of you who have family with you, that's fun too, right? My big sister's here. And so Julie and my brother-in-law, Steve and Carissa, thanks for being here. They're over here. If you want to learn anything about me beyond what you know, um, she will not tell you a thing. We have sworn to secrecy on all. No? Okay. Hey, I want to do something. Um, and and it will, it will, you'll be, I don't want it to come with any shame, guilt, and condemnation. Okay, but I'm going to ask you something, and I, and, I, and I want you to participate, but I don't want you to lie. Okay, and sometimes we lie because it, it just, we, it, we don't want to look bad, or we want to feel better about ourselves. So I just want you to lie, and I don't want you to feel shame and guilt and condemnation if your answer isn't what it's supposed to be, because we're part of a church that has nothing to do with shame, guilt, and condemnation. That's the devil, the enemy of our soul. God doesn't do that, and so we don't do that. We don't do that to ourselves, and we don't, actually we do, but we're trying to stop. We want to be quitters of shame, guilt, and condemnation. God doesn't work that way. When he looks at you, he does not see what's wrong with you, but what's missing. And if you grew up believing that God was mad at you and you were bad, then you missed it. Somebody showed you the wrong God because this God loves you dearly. And so I'm going to ask you a question, and I just want you to be honest. And um, I'm going to have a certain group of people that answered a certain way stand. And, and it's just a real quick thing, so don't feel like weird about it. We're just going to stand. But here's what I want to ask. You ready for this? Sets the tone for the rest of the message. This morning, if you are a follower of Jesus and you woke up from the moment you woke up, and I want you to think this through because it's got to be somewhat exact, from the moment you woke up to the moment you got here, how many of you would say, and if you say that this is true, stand up, that you have thought or processed that you are a son or daughter of God and you sat in that for a little bit this morning, would you stand up? Okay. Okay. 
first, second service did a little better than first service. Okay, you may sit down. Now again, if we're seated, no shame, guilt, or condemnation, right? <clears throat> so part, I'm gonna cough all the way through this. But we're gonna get through it. I want you to understand that the problem with most of our spiritual journey is that we don't keep at the forefront of our mind if we've stepped into a relationship with Jesus that we are his sons and daughters. As a matter of fact, as a church, as a matter of fact, I say that all the time. People make fun of it. Every time I say it now, I think about it. Squirrel, set it aside. Bless it. Here we go. So you don't even know what I'm talking about. You'll catch on. I promise. Five years ago, when we said, who are you? Most of the church wouldn't have answered a child of God. I would say now as a church, we're living in the truth that if somebody asks who I am, I do not want my identity to be attached to what I do, what I have, or what people say. I want my identity to be attached to who God says I am. And now that we say it, we need to learn to believe it and not just believe it, but keep it at the forefront of our minds every moment of every day. I am a son and daughter of God. It will change the way you think. It will change the way you talk and it will change the way you treat people. When you wake up a son and daughter of the king, it just changes everything. If you haven't stepped into a relationship with Jesus, then you need to understand that God has son and daughtership waiting for you and cannot wait to adopt you as a son or daughter if you step into a relationship with him. And in that adoption, you will become as important to him and as loved as his son. Okay? There, we've set the stage. We're in a new series called Resistance. Resistance. Doesn't that feel tough? No? Okay, very, uh, very participatory at the Hope Collective. We spent three weeks before last week exposing the counterfeit kingdom. When I say the counterfeit kingdom, there is an enemy of our soul that hates us. He's called the devil. He is a spiritual being. And he uses a trifecta to bring us down. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you to know who you are in God. He doesn't want you to become like Jesus. He does not want you to enjoy this life. And so what he does is he attacks in a three-prong attack on your life. First is the world, which is an economy that sits outside of the kingdom of God. It is not God's economy. It is the world's economy. It goes against everything God teaches. And he wants us more invested in the world in which we live than the kingdom he's setting up. The kingdom he's bringing. The kingdom he has already established through Jesus. Then there is the flesh, which is us wanting to take our loves and wants and desires that are deserved to be pointed fully at God and point them at everything else in this world, trying to find what we're looking for in the world and the flesh instead of God. And then the last is the devil comes and he lies and he's a liar. It's his native language. And so we exposed it. We spent three weeks saying that this is how the enemy comes against those who follow Jesus because he does not want you to know who you are in God and he does not want you to become like Jesus. And so he attacks in that way. And we exposed it. Not so that the devil goes, well, dang, they know now we're out. <laughs> we're exposed. No, because he will double down now. And so we got to know how to live in this world, not living according to the world, the flesh of the devil, but according to God. So we redirected the series last week to address, address the religious spirit that's in all of us. Let me define a religious spirit for you. A religious spirit is a demon or a demonic force which seeks to substitute religious activity, behavior modification. I'm gonna behave a certain way. I'm gonna perform so that God accepts me. That's a religious spirit. That is not God because God did what you need, you couldn't do. 
So a religious spirit is a demon or a demonic force which seeks to substitute religious activity for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And here's what's crazy is, when, it, when we think about the whole person, the body, mind, and the spirit, which we talk about in mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and relational, you can get it all right thinking that there is no such thing as spirituality or a spiritual being or the devil or whatever that. And you can be good mentally and emotionally, and I would challenge that without God, and you can be fine relationally and physically, or at least you think you are, fully sold out to a counterfeit kingdom, but you will be empty because of the lack of spiritual. Because of the lack of what God has and wants to do in your life. There, we are spiritual beings, and there is a spiritual force called the devil. 40% of Christians today believe the devil is only a symbol, a representation of evil. That is bull. He's a being that hates you and wants to destroy you. And we expose that too many Christians today are caught up in earning and performing instead of just receiving that God loves them and wants to be part of their life, okay? Catching you up. So this is crucial. We can't effectively resist this attack on our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And by the way, isn't it crazy that the enemy is going to come against you with the world, the flesh, and the devil in your heart, mind, soul, and strength, knowing that the greatest command in all the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so what's he going to do is he's going to come and attack that. And that attack can look like you thinking you're good without God. That's where we are. So we read Matthew 6, 1, which is the beginning of the passage that Kate just read. I want you to hear this. Be careful. This is Jesus talking. Sermon on the Mount. Best sermon ever. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. What is he calling out? Religious spirit. As of those of us who have Jesus know we have his righteousness, not ours. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so we're saying that we need to resist the world, the flesh, and the devil, that that's the attack of the enemy. And so we've named this resistance. Not still not falling really well, is it? Like I'm, I'm expecting an uprising or something. When we were thinking about this, we thought, well, what would cause people to get what we're talking about? And we had an idea that kind of got left on the cutting room floor but I was able to rescue it and pull it out. And this is what we were thinking initially. Yes. Feel it right. Hmm? We're like, huh? Now you're feeling it, right? Tapping into the rebel in all of us. I'm, I'm telling you, we probably should have just stuck with that. Because we are way too passive against this attack. So when I say resistance, I'm talking about resistance. It has to come from deep inside of us, those of us who call ourselves sons and daughters of the living God and start standing with a king. It's a resistance. Now, when you think about this in relationship to the counterfeit kingdom, which we called out as the enemies luring us into the world, the flesh, and the devil, let me have you think about it like this, because the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it looks like to resist. Not fully like that. There's a tension to manage here because some of us need a little bit of that. But what does it look like to be people of prayer, people who fast, and people who serve in such a way that it resists the world, the flesh, and the devil? 
What would that look like? Not, not just to talk about it, but knowing that when Lent arrives, we're going to rescue that back from a religious spirit. And we're going to fast as a church and pray as a church and serve as a church for those 40 days leading into Easter and watch what God will do. So here's how this works in the, according to the, in relationship to the counterfeit kingdom. Pray is how we combat the devil's influence, which is lying by continual connection to God. If you're, if you're talking to God and letting God talk back to you, you don't have time to listen to the devil's lies. Just saying. Next week, we're going to talk about fasting. Listen to this. Fasting is how we combat the flesh by exposing and denying it. <laughs> it's good. Mm, resistance. I don't know why I'm standing like this. Serve. Serve is how we fight the influence of the world by becoming redemptive presences in the world. Justice is acting in a way as to not harm another, living in a way as to make wrongs right. We're going to become that people in the world and not social justice, but Jesus justice. Are you with me? Cool. Here's the problem. Aw. Resistance. Sweet baby. Too many people, and let me just say too many Christians, and hear me. See, praying, fasting, and serving is optional and not essential. I'll say it again, because you asked. Too many people in the church, too many Christians, see, praying and fasting and serving is optional and not essential, as in necessary, as in vital, as in key. Like, if you don't drink water, you die. And if you don't pray, you die spiritually. You become consumed by a religious spirit trying to earn your way to God, and you can't. And not just pray and fast and serve, but do it the way Jesus taught us to do it. Not the way church has taught us, not the way a religious spirit tells us, but the way Jesus tells us. As our greatest resistance, because it's our greatest submission, James 4, 7 says that if you submit to God, meaning, hey God, this is not my will, but your will be done. I wake up in the morning knowing I'm a son and daughter of God, and I'm going to live for you. I'm going to submit to you. Do you know what he says? He says you can resist the devil, and he will flee. Like, that's the authority we have in Jesus. I submit to God. I resist the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it has to go. I can be victorious. And not just on my own, but in community. Let's keep going. The world, the flesh, and the devil. We need to say no. To thinking like this world thinks. Having worldviews that live outside a biblical view. view. The flesh, giving into temptations just because we want to or because we think it's better or it's a better option than God. The devil, listening to the lies. It's defiance. We will not comply with or conform to the world, the flesh, or the devil. But not, here's the tension. This is why we didn't do Star Wars. Not a tone of aggression, hostility, and insurrection. Are you hearing me? It's not that. It's a, we won't bow. That's what it is. Thank you, Rama. It's this idea that the world can throw what it wants at us. The flesh can, the devil can say, but I am not going to bow. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel, they're in 
captivity with Babylon and they're forcing them to worship an idol, a graven image of, of a king. And so they played music and everybody bowed except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They refused to bow. Why? Because they will not worship a false god. They will not chase a counterfeit kingdom. They will not bow. And so the king gets mad and calls them in. You know the story, right? And he says, listen, you guys got to bow. This is crazy. We're going to go back out there and they're going to play. They said, don't send us back out there because we're still not going to bow. And he's like, fine, I'll throw you in a fiery furnace. And he takes them and he binds them and he throws them in the furnace. And the furnace was so hot that the guys who threw them in died from the heat. And the king is standing there looking at the furnace. He's like, didn't we throw three guys in there? And they're like, yeah, then why is there four? And why does the fourth one look like the son of God? Come on. Let's reclaim some of our heritage that God can do what he says he's going to do. Let's resist the world, the flesh, and the devil and start acting like people who are part of a different kingdom. Okay, I need a drink. (laughs) We're just getting started. No, I'll be done. I did it first service. I can do it again. I can do it. How do we live out our resistance? Here's, here's Here's what we're trying to say for the next three weeks. Here's how we live it out. We live it out through prayer. We live it out through fasting. And we live it out through serving. All counter to a counterfeit kingdom, all of it. And so we go to Matthew chapter six, verse five. And here's what's, and, and, and let, me, let, me, let me just say this. We're hitting prayer today. How many in this room by a show of hands would say that you've had God answer a prayer that you prayed? Raise your hand. Keep it up, keep it up. How many say you, okay. All right, so, so, so by, by sheer testimony, we've debunked that God doesn't answer prayer. Okay. By the word of your testimony, by the blood of the lamb, the word of your testimony, he has answered prayer. Now, how many of you had him answer prayer? Not in the way you thought, but it worked out better because, right? I mean, not better in his mind, but not in yours, right? But still better. Okay. Now, I want you to hear, we're talking about prayer today. Okay. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. This is where people, somebody says pray and you're like, oh gosh, because most of us don't think we pray enough. Right. That we could definitely pray more. And we need to pray more. Hey, gosh, you're talking about it. It's a reminder I should. And we don't should on ourselves around here. Okay? It's not why. The bigger question is why. Right? People don't, people don't have to call me and come around and support me every morning to help me talk to my wife. I get up wanting to talk to my wife for 22 years. Because, bless you, ADHD, deal with it. It's just part of the deal. Okay, we just go there and then we come back. Bless it, come back. Okay, just keep choosing Jesus. Just keep choosing Jesus. Right here, okay? I get up and I want to talk to her. You don't have to convince me of it. You don't have to tell me I should. It's a joy to wake up in conversation with my wife. It's a joy to check in on her all day. It's a joy when something good happens to call her and share it with her. It's a joy when something bad happens to call it and pray together. It's a joy to have conversation and sit down and get to know each other better. You don't have to convince me that I'm supposed to do it. Why? Because I love her. And because I love her, I want to. Church, the bigger question isn't why aren't you praying or what are the reasons? It's do you love Jesus? And if you do, why aren't we praying? Because it's communication with God on a regular basis that has to happen in our lives. So why is it under attack in our lives? 
And this is what we've got to process. And this is what we've got. Because Jesus says in verse five, when you pray, he's making an assumption that you're going to pray because you're a follower of Jesus and you care about his word. And so you're reading it. And he says, when you pray, meaning you'll pray because people who love Jesus pray and people who follow Jesus pray. So when you pray, there's an assumption that's being made. And so we've got to kind of lean in just a little bit and ask this, what's the motivation behind your prayer life? Whether it's amazing or whether it's not. Matter of fact, let's just, oh, there it is again. Let's just ask. It's distracting. How many of you would say, man, I could have a way better prayer life than I have? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you would say, no, man, I can't get any better than the one I got right now. Like I talk to him nonstop. Nobody else will even talk to me because I'm talking to him all the time, right? <laughs> no, like nobody's raising their hand. So we're sitting here saying, no, God, there's space. So why is there space? What's going on? What's the motivation? Is it a have to or a want to? Let's start there. Because I could get up here today and tell you, hey, go do this and give you a formula. And it's not going to work because our hearts aren't right. Because there's something going on in our heart. We've missed something in our heart to realize that this shouldn't be something we're talked into. This should be something that we can't be talked out of. Man, I want to. It's not I have to. I want to pray. You will overcome every excuse when it's something you want. So let me give you five things because here's what's really crazy, okay? You can actually go to God. This is really, it's good. You can go to God and you can say, hey, I don't, I don't really desire to talk to you. Like I, we can be, the best place we can start is say, God, I want other things in this world more than I want you. And we can go to God and say, but I want to want you. And so can you put a desire in me to talk to you? Now you can't try that with your spouse. <laughs> right? No, you can't go, hey, hon, listen. Can you, can you pray that, that I would have a desire to talk to you? That falls apart. That's a foul, right? Why? Because we're humans who need counseling. Why? Because we have identity issues. Why? Because we're insecure. God doesn't need counseling. God's not insecure. God knows who he is and he's perfectly fine with who he is. And so he's saying, listen, I actually know that you can't have desire unless I place it there. So come and ask the one who doesn't care if you ask to give you the desire to want to talk with him. That's a great start for some of us, isn't it? That's good news. And so let me just give you a few ways that your desire can grow. The first one is pray for desire. The second one is abide in God's word. Like get into his word, pray the same prayer over that. Observe those in need because listen, when you observe those in need and realize your savior complex can't save people, then you know that only God can. And so you got to get on your knees and start praying that God will. And then you start seeing things happening like we're seeing around here. And you're like, holy crap, we can't do this without God. We better pray. And we don't have enough prayer in this church going on for the size of the vision that God's given. So we got to pray more. Okay. Um, separate yourself from the world. Start there. I, we, that's a whole sermon. Fast. Talk about that next week. So, hey, Christian, follower of Jesus, how's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Another way to say it is, how has your talking to God been lately? Maybe another way to say it, um, 
how would you sum up your relationship with God at this point in your life? See, God desires for your life, married or unmarried, student or employee, young or old, to run on the power of prayer. Not your strength, his. Not your way, his. Prayer fuels the engine of your heart and mind. It's not coffee or Chipotle or social media buzz you get from every like. It's prayer. You need God in and through prayer more than you need anything else. I'm going to put this up and I want you to hear this. We will not do, I don't care how amazing you are. We will not do anything of any real and lasting value without God, which means we will not do anything of any real and lasting value without prayer. We know we need to pray, but we know we don't pray enough. And we're not always sure that we're even doing it right when we do. Should I even be asking God for this or should I still be asking God for this? And do I even know what I need? Is anybody there? And this is crazy. The Bible refuses to give us one small, simple picture and pattern of prayer. Jesus never intended for his model prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, to be our only guide and counsel for prayer. It is a great place to start. And I want you to hear this because it's going to inform how we end. But God's word gives us so much more material for our prayer lives. I, so we could, we could talk about all that, but I think this is a heart issue. And so when I prayed about how we talk about this today, I thought, God, God wants to talk to your heart. God wants to ask some really hard questions about your heart. Do you know who you are? Do you know what he believes about you and thinks about you? Are you in a transactional relationship with God, a contract? Are you in a covenant relationship with God? God's got some hard questions that he wants to ask you because if you'll solve some of those questions, you might see your love and passion to talk to God grow and then you can't stop talking to him. And so when somebody says, hey, would you pray with me? You say, yeah, I'll be praying for you. You won't walk away, but you'll pray right there. And don't be weird when you do that. Prayer is objectively real, a real God, real communication, real work, real answers. You just proved it. But it also comes in a million shapes and forms. Prayer happens in seconds. It happens in short moments, in cracks of our day. And it can happen for hours at a time, even throughout the whole night. Matter of fact, that just showed you Jesus' prayer life. That's how he prayed. Prayer is conscious. It's a personal communication with God of the universe. A better question than how's your prayer life might be, have you been enjoying conscious communication with God? over his word, in your daily needs, throughout your day. Why are we so good at hearing, following, and confirming all of the negative self-talk in our life, but we've not figured out how to hear God? I'm blown away by that. Because God doesn't just want to hear from you. He wants to talk to you. Do you know what as a staff, what we do a lot of times at the end of our time of prayer every Monday is we'll say, hey, Holy Spirit, we know you're here. And so do you have anything that you want to say to us today? And we stop and we listen. <coughs> Off. And we listen. And do you know, without fail, somebody begins to say, I think this is what the Holy Spirit's saying right now. And then somebody else will confirm it. And then there'll be another thing. And we have that for the week. God's talking. Are you listening? How's your prayer life? Has your relationship with him been real? Not a box to check, not just a hurried place for help, not a vague abstract idea hovering over your head in life. Has your faith been tying you to him in your heart and have you been leaning on him and not yourself? Because I believe that the people in God's word of great faith were people of great prayer. And I think you can prove it by looking at their life. So let me 
close with a thought. And that doesn't mean like I'm closing in two minutes. Okay, but I will be done when that clock hits zero. Just so you know. Are you with me still? Because here's the deal. I, I, think, I think there's something really important here that's impacting our communication with God, our prayer life, that Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage. And I think if we will listen and get it, it will radically change our daily talk with God. And it won't come from a place of have to. It will come from a place of want to. Because you've discovered he's your father, not your landlord. So, Matthew chapter 6, 6 through 13. We read 5. Listen to this, what it says in verse 6. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your father in private. That's not against corporate prayer, by the way. That's just against a heart that wants to be seen. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. Other translations say as the pagans do, which is really just talking about religious people. We'll get to that. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again and again and again. Don't be like them for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So pray like this. Okay, so, so Jesus is responding to us. Because Jesus doesn't just point the way to God like a good teacher, like most of the religions of the world, but is the way to God because of the resurrection, then prayer for us as Christians is radically different than other religions. Are you catching me? What God is calling us to because Jesus came, predicted that he would die and rise, and then pulled it off, when he says this is how you should pray, he's doing it not just so you go through rote and babble and say a bunch of things, but because what you say when you say and when you hear from him will radically change your life and those around you. There's power in it because of his resurrection. Because all religions have prayer. Doesn't mean they're right. There's many ways to pray. Jesus says there's a way to pray that is pagan and a way to pray that is Christian. Now listen, when I say Christian, help me out here. I need you to find this because if I ask 10 of you in the world we live in today because Christians have lived it so poorly, what a Christian is, I will get 10 different answers. So when I say Christian for the rest of this message and the rest of our time, I'm talking about someone who has laid down their life and picked up the cross of Christ and are walking with Jesus, not perfect, but want to become like him, doing the things he did, saying the things he said. That's what a Christian is. Someone who looks like Christ. Jesus did not come to start another religion. So verse seven and eight, when he says, he already knows what you need, I think we read that and we're like, well, then I don't have to pray because he already knows. People say that. I've talked to some of you in this room that say that. That's the devil. You gotta get this. Some think it's about whether to ask God for things. That passage right there. Do I ask him if he already knows? It's not because a few verses later he says, give us this day our daily bread. So we're asking God for daily bread. There's two different bases. And, and by the way, as I was researching and study, this came up in my study from Tim Keller, who kind of brought this to light for me. And so I want to unpack it a little bit because it radically shifted how I look at this passage, bless you, and how we pray. Two different bases on which you can approach God. Pagans think that they'll be heard because of one thing, and he's saying, don't be like them. Go as if God is your father. Jesus is saying, it's not whether to ask. That's not the issue. It's not if you should ask because God already knows. It's how are you going to ask? Whew, okay, so, so this, is, this is big. There's a difference between reciting our father, hello, and praying our father. 
And pagan prayer, Jesus is saying, equals a pagan relationship. And this is where it gets fun. <coughs> and then we cough. Jesus is saying, what is the cause by which you will be heard? Is it pagan prayer or Christian prayer? And here's what Tim Keller says. And this is what I want to unpack. What's the true basis of prayer? Is what Jesus is getting to. And that there are two different ways to go to God. And here they are. And it's actually two different ways we go to each other. It is whether it is a business relationship or a family relationship. The pagans come in a business relationship. God, I do this. And therefore, because I do this, then you do this. That's not how it works in a family relationship. Business relationships say, I have something for you. Family relationship says what I am to you. Business relationship is about performance. Family relationship is about commitment. Business relationship is about doing. Family relationship is about being. Business is conditional. Family is unconditional. In business, if you perform, you'll be accepted. In family, since you are accepted, you ought to perform. <sighs> Stay with me. I know this is hard. Jesus says you can either approach him on a business basis or a family basis and that this is the essence of the spirit of religion or the spirit of God in your life. Jesus is giving you a test to see on which basis you go to God, pagan or Christian. You will babble with empty words and your words will be many, meaning anxious. So here's the question to know if you're a pagan prayer, meaning a religious spirit prayer, or you are a family relationship prayer, a Christian, what happens when your prayers aren't answered determines it. When your prayers don't get answered, is your response cold and anxious? Is there anger and guilt? Maybe I didn't do enough. I can't believe he didn't do enough. Then your basis is business and you are a pagan. You're a renter with a landlord, not a child with a father. See, when Jesus is talking about pagan in this passage, he's talking about the religious not the irreligious. See, we want to say Jesus is talking about the irreligious and the religious pray like this. Oh, no, no, no. He's saying the religious pagans pray like this, but Christians who love Jesus pray like this. Church, this is big because I think this sits at the core of what's wrong with our walk with Jesus. A religious person says, God, come into my life and be my landlord. I'll do my part if you do yours. A Christian says, God, come into my life and be my father. I'm not worthy of your favor, but Jesus lived the life I should have lived and died the death I should have died. And on that basis, be my father. Look at your prayer life. Church, is it mechanical? Is it cold? Is it anxious? or warm and confident and loving and personal, and what will determine, that will determine whether you're a renter or a child. See, he doesn't start with the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't start the Lord's Prayer, our King, hallowed be your name, our Creator, hallowed be your name, though he is both, or our friend, hallowed be your name, though there's trouble in that too. Even the messiness of family proves the strength of the paradigm. Even though it's messy, they're still family. So he goes to our Father. Because even though we don't come the way we should, and even though we walk away, and even though we're tied to the world and the flesh and the devil, he still loves us. We're still part of the family if we've stepped into a relationship with him. And so he's doing everything in his power to pull us in. 
She's my sister. She may do dumb things, but she's my sister. Our father. And so this is big because those two words control everything else about our relationship with God. Our father. Okay. Okay. So, so here it is. Identity, identity, identity. When you get any part of your identity from what you do, what you have, or what people say or don't say about you, the moment you get your identity from that, you lose your, our father. Because he has given you an identity as son and daughter. And that doesn't matter what you do, what you have, what, you, what, what people think about you, because God loves you. And so wouldn't it be the devil to take a religious spirit and get you caught up in praying prayers based on what God can do for you, based on what you do for him, so that it's not from the perspective of a father, but it's from a perspective of a renter, a landlord. And many of us in this room have a landlord business relationship with God instead of a family where he's our father. Oh, your understanding that you are an adopted child of God is the very essence of what it means to be a Christian. John, John 1, 12, I got I to go there real quick. It's, it's, if you got your Bibles, go there. It's right of Matthew. A guy read this at the men's conference. And man, what an amazing men's conference. But really quick, verse 1, 12, listen to this. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. To be a Christian means that you're adopted into the family of God. And adoption isn't a result of a child's effort, is it, Chris? It has nothing to do with what the child has done. Church, you got to stay with us. And those of you who have maybe been adopted or have adopted, it's an act of the Father. It is not a change in nature or behavior. And if you act a certain way, then I will adopt you. No, it's a change of status. It's a legal status where you are adopted into the family of God and you become just as important. You become just as much a part of the family as Jesus. And so Jesus in John chapter 17 said, God, even as you have loved me, now love them. It's adoption. And you can clap, it's okay. It means now you're no longer someone that I send home because you're bad. But you're a child whether you misbehave or not. And when you're adopted, the father says you cross over from being no one to someone, from not a child to a child of God as committed to you as I am to my own son. If that's hard for you to understand or seems too easy, it shows you're a renter. Pagan is religious business relationship. And if you understand that here is how you pray, you start with the doctrine of adoption, not with your act, but his saturate yourself with it. And that's the fire that fuels access and confident access. Okay, so I'm wrapping up because this is, this is big. Our father is not another kind of prayer. You need to get this. It's just not. It's the way all kinds of prayer must be done. If you don't deal with yourself on father-child terms, you're like someone who died in poverty but had a art, piece of art hanging in your home that was worth millions and you just didn't know it. And so we don't come to God on the basis of what we do and our righteousness, but we come on the basis of what he's done. And we accept the fact that I'm a son and daughter because I've put my faith and trust in him. And that starts every prayer. Because if that's broken, then so will your prayer life be.
And what comes out of that? Just give you one. And I, there's, there's a, because the Lord's prayer, this is it. It's adoration. Family prayer is the only way that you can adore God. Family relationship is the only way that you can adore God. Not as a renter where God's your landlord. How great is the love of the Father that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. You are just blown away that you're a Christian. That this God would accept me and did nothing to earn it. Renters have paid the rent. But Christians, it's a miracle that I'm part of the family. And I just love it. I can't believe it. But it's true. Pagans don't repent of their righteousness because they need it to get God. Christians do. And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused such pain. Amazing love. How can it be? Not look what I've done for you, but look what you did for me. And I come at that place. And he meets me as my dad who loves me no matter what. How natural is praise and adoration for you? It will determine if you're a renter or a child. Just this last, because I got, I got a minute and 51 seconds. But I just gotta give you this last one because I think this is crazy. Petition, give us this day our daily bread. It's not monthly bread. It's not our weekly bread. Listen, it is the job of the Christian to bug God for your needs. Bug him. Be persistent. Be shameless. Praying for every little thing. Why? Because the only person that dares wake up the king for a glass of water is his child. <laughs> Everybody else is dead. <laughs> Business, relationships, renters can't wake up the king, but a child can. And you're a child. Or at least that's what he says. No other religion would dare tell you to bother him for every little thing except Jesus, our daily bread. Our father, if you don't understand it, and there's, there's no Hollywood be your name. There's no daily bread and there's no kingdom come. But if you understand it, oh man, the praise and adoration will lift from your lips every chance we get to sing. The daily bread will just consume you because you'll ask him everything. It's part of conversation and you'll live for his kingdom and not a counterfeit one. First service, there was a lady sitting right over here. Many of you know her by the name of Vicki Rowe. Oh man, she's figured this out, hasn't she, Matt? How many know Vicki? She's probably prayed for you. If you know her, she's prayed for you. If you don't know her, she's prayed for you. How do I know that? Because she's here every week, walking the halls of this church, praying over every door, praying over every room. A lot of times you'll find her kneeling at the foot of that cross because she's figured out that God's her father and she can bring it all. And she loves him. And there is a want. She wouldn't be here. What would happen if we had a church full of people who lived their daily life like that? Who could willingly say our father and then talk to God all day? I can't tell you how, but I can tell you that's the way, that's where you start. Are you convinced of your adoption? Stand with me.
if you have stepped into a relationship with Jesus through acknowledging that he is your savior and not just your savior, but your Lord and not just your Lord, but your treasure. And you're adopted into the family and you can go to him in every prayer with our father as a child that wakes up a king for a glass of water. May that be your week. May you bother Jesus for a glass of water. I think he's dying to hear from some of us. Next week, fasting. We love you. Have a great week. Thanks for spending time with the Hope Collective. If you appreciated this message, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. You can also leave a rating or review, which will help other listeners find us online. Thanks again for joining us.